Abandonment to Divine Providence Chapter 3 On the Nature and Excellence of the State of Abandonment Section 1 The Life of God and the Soul There is a time when the soul lives in God, and a time when God lives in the soul. What is appropriate to one state is inconsistent with the other. When God lives in the soul, it ought to abandon itself entirely to his providence. When the soul lives in God, it is obliged to procure for itself carefully and very regularly every means it can devise by which to arrive at the divine union. The whole procedure is marked out. The readings, the examinations, the resolutions, the guide is always at hand and everything is by rule, even the hours for conversation. When God lives in the soul, it has nothing left of itself but only that which the spirit, which actuates it, it, imparts to it at each moment. Nothing is provided for the future, no road is marked out, but it is like a child which can be led wherever one pleases, and has only feeling to distinguish what is presented to it. No more books with marked pages for such a soul. Often enough, it is even deprived of a regular director, for God allows it no other support than that which he gives it himself. Its dwelling is in darkness, forgetfulness, abandonment, death, and nothingness. It feels keenly its wants and miseries without knowing from whence or when it come its relief. With eyes fixed on heaven, it waits peacefully and without anxiety for someone to come to assist. God, who finds no purer disposition in his spouse than this entire self-renunciation for the sake of living the life of grace according to the divine operation, provides her with necessary books, thoughts, insights into her own soul, advice and counsel, and the examples of the wise. Everything that others discover with great difficulty, this soul finds in abandonment and what they guard with care in order to be able to find it again, this soul receives at the moment there is occasion for it, and afterwards relinquishes so as to admit nothing but exactly what God desires it to have, in order to live by him alone. The former soul undertakes an infinity of good works for the glory of God, the latter is often cast aside in a corner of the world, like a bit of broken crockery, apparently no use to anyone. There this soul forsaken by creatures, but in the enjoyment of God, by a very real, true, and active love, active although infused in repose, does not attempt anything by its own impulse. It only knows that it has to abandon itself and to remain in the hands of God, to be used by Him as He pleases. Often it is ignorant of its use, but God knows well. The world thinks it is useless, and appearances give color to this judgment, but nevertheless it is very certain that in mysterious ways and by unknown channels, it spreads abroad an infinite amount of grace on persons who often have no idea of it and of whom it never thinks. In souls abandoned to God, everything is efficacious. Everything is a sermon and apostolic. God imparts to their silence, to their repose, and to their detachment to their words, 
jesters, etc., a certain virtue which, unknown to them, works in the hearts of those around them, and as they are guarded by occasional actions of others, who are made use of by grace to instruct them, without their knowledge, in the same way they, in their turn, are made use of for the support and guidance of others, without any direct acquaintance with them, or understanding to that effect. God, it is, who works in them, by unexpected and often unknown impulses, so that these souls are like to Jesus, from whom proceeds a secret virtue for the healing of others. There is this difference between him and them, that often they do not perceive the outflow of their virtue, and even contribute nothing by cooperation. It is like a hidden balm and a perfume which is exhaled without being recognized, and which knows not its own virtue. Section 2. The Most Perfect Way In this state the soul is guided by the divine action through every kind of obscurity. When the soul is moved by the divine influence, it forsakes all works, practices, methods, means, books, ideas, and spiritual persons in order to be guided by God alone by abandoning itself to that moving power which becomes the sole source of its perfection. It remains in his hands like all the saints, understanding that the divine action alone can guide it in the right path, and that if it were to seek other men, it would inadvertently go astray in the unknown country which God compels it to traverse. It is therefore the action of God which guides and conducts souls by ways which it alone understands. It is with these souls like the changes of the wind. The direction is only known in the present moment, and the effects follow their cause by the will of God, which is only explained by these effects, because it acts in these souls and makes them act either by hidden undoubted instincts or by the duties of their state. This is all the spirituality they know. These are their visions and revelations. This is the whole of their wisdom and counsel, inasmuch that nothing is ever wanting to them. Faith makes them certain that what they do is well. Whether they read, speak, or write, if they take counsel, it is only to be able to distinguish more clearly the divine action. All this is laid down for them, and they receive it like the rest, beholding beneath these things the divine motive power, and not fasting on the things presented, but using or leaving them, always leaning by faith on the infallible, unruffled, immutable, and ever efficacious actions of God at each moment. This they perceive and enjoy in all things, the least as well as the greatest, for it is entirely at their service at every moment. Thus they make use of these things, not because they have any confidence in them, or for their own sake, but in submission to the divine ordinance, and to that interior operation which, even under contrary appearances, they discover with equal facility and certitude. Their life, therefore, is spent not in investigation or desires, weariness or sighs, but in a settled assurance of being in the most perfect way. 
Every state of body or soul, and whatever happens interiorly or exteriorly, as revealed at each moment to these souls, is to them the fullness of divine action and the fullness of their joy. Created things are to them nothing but misery and death. The only true and just measure is in the working of the divine action. Thus it is, takes away thoughts, words, books, food, persons, health, even life itself. It is exactly the same as if it did not do these things. The soul loves the divine action and finds it equally sanctifying under whatever shape it presents itself. It does not reason about the way it acts. It suffices for its approval that whatever comes is from this source. Section 3. Abandonment, a Pledge of Predestination The state of abandonment contains in itself pure faith, hope, and charity. The state of abandonment is a certain mixture of faith, hope, and charity in one single act which unites the soul of God and to his action. United, these three virtues together form but one in a single act, the raising of the heart to God and abandonment to his action. But how can this divine mingling, this spiritual oneness be explained? How can a name be found to convey an idea of its nature and to make the unity of this trinity intelligible? It can be explained thus, it is only by means of these three virtues that the possession and enjoyment of God and of His will can be attained. This adorable object is seen, is loved, and all things are hoped for in it. Either virtue can, with equal justice, be called pure love, pure hope, or pure faith, and if the state of which we are speaking is more frequently designated by the last name, it is not that the other theological virtues are excluded, but rather that they may be understood to subsist and to be practiced in this state in obscurity. There can be nothing more secure than this state in the things that are of God, nothing more disinterested than the character of the heart. On the side of God is the absolute certitude of faith, and on that of the heart is the same certitude tempered with fear and hope. O most desirable unity of the Trinity of these holy virtues, believe then hope and love. But by a simple feeling, which the Holy Spirit who is given you by God will produce in your soul, it is there that the unction of the name of God is diffused by the Holy Spirit in the center of the heart. There is the word, this is the mystical revelation and a pledge of predestination with all this happy results. Quam bonus Israel Deus is qui recto sunt corde. Psalm 72. This impress of the Holy Spirit in souls inflamed with his love is called pure love on account of the torrent of delight overflowing every faculty accompanied by a fullness of confidence and light. But in the souls that are plunged in bitterness it is called pure faith, because the darkness and obscurity of the night are without alleviation. Pure love sees, feels, and believes. Pure faith believes without either seeing or feeling. In this is shown the difference between these two states. 
but this difference is only apparent, not real. The appearances are dissimilar, but in reality, as the state of pure faith is not lacking in charity, neither is the state of pure love lacking in faith nor in abandonment. The terms being applied according to which virtue prevails, the different graduations of these virtues under the torch of the Holy Spirit form the variety of all supernatural and lofty states. And since God can rearrange them in any endless variety, there is not a single soul that has not received this priceless impress in a character subtle to it. The difference is nothing. There are the same faith, hope, and charity in all. Abandonment is a general means of receiving special virtue in every variety of different impresses. Souls cannot all lay claim to the same sort, nor to a similar state, but all can be united to God, all can be abandoned to His action, all can receive the impress that is best suited to them. All, in fact, can live under the reign of God and enjoy a share in His justice with all its advantages. In this kingdom every soul can aspire to a crown, and whether a crown of love or a crown of faith, it is always a crown, always the kingdom of God. There is this difference. It is true. The one is in the light and the other in darkness. But again, what does this signify if the soul belongs to God and obeys his will? We do not seek to know the name of this state, its characteristics, nor excellences, but we seek God alone and his action. The manner of it ought to be a matter of indifference to the soul. Let us therefore no longer preach to souls about either the state of pure love or of perfect faith, the way of delights or of the cross, for these cannot be imparted to all in the same degree nor in the same manner. But let us preach abandonment in general to the divine action, to all simple souls who fear God, and let us make them all understand that by these means they will attain to this particular state chosen and destined for them by the divine action from all eternity. Let us not dishearten, nor rebuff, nor drive away any one from that most imminent perfection to which Jesus calls everyone, exacting from them submission to the will of his heavenly Father, and thus making them members of his mystical body. He is their head only in so far as their will is in accordance with his. Let us continually repeat to all souls that the invitation of this sweet and loving Savior does not exact anything very difficult from them, nor very extraordinary. He does not ask for talent and ingenuity. All he desires is that they have a good will and desire to be united to him so that he could guide, direct, and befriend them in proportion as they are so united. Section 4. Abandonment, a source of joy. The state of abandonment comprises the most heroic generosity. There is nothing more generous than the way in which a soul having faith accepts the most deadly perils and troubles, beholding in them something divine of the spiritual life. When it is a question of swallowing poison, of filling the breach, of, sal of 
slaving for the plague-stricken, in all this they find a plenitude of divine life, not given to them drop by drop, but in floods, which inundate and engulf the soul in an instant. If an army were animated by the same ideals, it would be invincible. This is because the instinct of faith is an elevation and an enlargement of the heart above and beyond all that is present to the senses. The life of faith and the instinct of faith are one and the same. It is an enjoyment of the goods of God and confidence founded on the expectation of his protection, making everything pleasant and received with good grace. It is indifference, too, and at the same time preparation for every place, state, or person. Faith is never unhappy, even when the senses are more desolate. This lively faith is always in God, always in his action, above contrary appearances by which the senses are darkened. The senses in terror suddenly cry out to the soul, Unhappy one, you have now no resource, you are lost. And instantly faith, with a stronger voice, answers, Keep firm, go on, and fear nothing. Section 5. The Great Merit of Pure Faith by the state of abandonment of pure faith, the soul gains more merit than by the most eminent good works. Whatever we find extraordinary in the lives of the saints, such as revelations, visions, and interior locutions, is but a glimpse of that excellence of their state, which is contained and hidden in the exercise of faith, because faith possesses all this by knowing how to see and hear God, in that which happens from moment to moment. When these favors are manifested visibly, it does not mean that by faith they have not been already possessed, but in order to make the excellence of faith visible for the purpose of attracting souls to the practice of it, just as the glory of Tabor. And the miracles Jesus Christ were not from any increase of his intrinsic excellence, but from the light which from time to time escaped from the dark cloud of his humanity to make it an object of veneration and love to others. That which is wonderful in the saints is the constancy of their faith under every circumstance. Without this, there would be no sanctity. In the loving faith which makes them rejoice in God for everything, their sanctity is no need of any extraordinary manifestation. This could only prove useful to others who might require the state, the testimony of such signs. But the soul in this state, happy in its obscurity, does in no way rely on these brilliant manifestations. It allows them to show outwardly for the profit of others, but keeps for itself what all have in common the will of God and his good pleasure. This faith is proved in hiding and not in manifesting itself, and those who require more proof have less faith. Those who live by faith receive proofs, not as such, but as favors from the hand of God, and in this sense things that are extraordinary are not in contradiction to the state of pure faith, 
But there are many saints whom God sets up for the salvation of souls, and from whose faces he causes rays of glory to stream for the enlightenment of the most blind. Of such were the prophets and the apostles, and all those saints chosen by God to be set in the candlestick of the church. There will ever be such as these ever have been. There is also an infinity of others who, having been created to shine in the heavens, give no light in this world, but live and die in profound obscurity. Section 6. Submission, a free gift to God. The state of abandonment includes the merit of every separate operation. Abandonment, as practiced interiorly, contains every possible variety of operation, because the soul giving itself up to the good pleasure of God, this surrender, affected by pure love, extends to all the operations of this good pleasure. Thus the soul practices at each moment an abandonment without limit, and in its virtue are comprehended all possible qualities and every method. It is therefore by no means the business of the souls to decide what is the object of the submission it owes to God? Its sole occupation is to submit at all times and for all things. What God requires of the soul is the essential part of abandonment. The free gifts he asks are abnegation, obedience, and love. The rest is his business. Provided that the soul carefully fulfills the duties of its state, provided it quietly follows the attraction given to it, and submits peacefully to the dealings of grace as to body and soul. It is in this way exercising interiorly one general and universal act, that of abandonment. This act is by no means limited by time, nor by the special duty of the moment, but possesses in the main all the merit and efficacy which a sincere good will always has although the result does not depend upon it. What it desired to do is done in the sight of God. If God's good pleasure sets a limit to the exercise of particular faculties, it sets none to that of the will. The good pleasure of God, the being and essence of God, are objects of the will, and by the exercise of charity, its union with God has neither limit, distinction, nor measure. If this charity ends in the exercise of the faculties for certain objects, it is because the will of God only goes so far, it contracts itself, so to speak, restricting itself to the exigencies of the present moment from whence it passes to the faculties, and then the heart. Finding the heart pure, free, and without reserve, it communicates itself fully to, on account of the infinite capacity which charity has affected by emptying it of all created things, thus rendering it capable of union with God, of heavenly purity. O blessed annihilation! O unreserved submission! Through you, in God, drawing into the center of the heart, let the faculties then be what they will, provided, Lord, that I possess you. Do what you will with this insignificant creature, whether it works, becomes inspired, or becomes the subject of your impressions. It is all one, 
All is yours, all is from you, and for you. I have no longer anything to look at, anything to do. I have no hand in the arrangement of one single moment of my life. All is yours. I ought neither to add to nor to diminish anything, neither to seek after nor to reflect upon anything. It is for you to regulate everything. Direction, mortification, sanctity, perfection, and salvation are all your business, Lord. Mine is to be satisfied with your work and not to appropriate any action or any state, but to leave all to your good pleasure. Section 7. Divine Favors Offered to All Every soul is called to enjoy the infinite benefits contained in this state. Therefore do I preach abandonment, and not any particular state. Every state in which souls are placed by your grace is the same to me. I teach a general method by which all can attain the state which you have marked out for them. I do not exact more than the will to abandon themselves to your guidance. You will, your will, makes them arrive infallibly at the state which is best for them. It is faith that I preach, abandonment, confidence, and faith, the will to be subject to, and to be the tool of divine action, and to believe that at every moment this action is working in every circumstance, provided that the soul has more or less good will. This is the faith that I preach. It is not a special kind of faith, nor of charity, but a general state by which all souls can find God under the different conditions which He assumes, and can take that form which divine grace has marked out for them. I have spoken to souls in trouble, and now I am speaking to all kinds of souls. It is the genuine instinct of my heart to care for all, to announce the saving secret far and wide, and to make myself all to all. In this happy disposition, I make it a duty, which I fulfill without difficulty, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to speak foolishly with the foolish, and with the learned to make use of more learned and more scholastic terms. I wish to make all understand that although they cannot aspire to the same distinct favors, they can attain to the same love, the same abnegation, the same God, and His work. And thence it follows naturally to the highest sanctity, those grace which are called extraordinary, and are given as privileges to certain souls, are only so called because there are so few sufficiently faithful to become worthy of receiving them. This will be made manifest at the day of judgment. Alas, it will be then be seen that instead of these divine favors having been withheld by God, it has been entirely by their own fault that these souls have been deprived of them. What untold blessings they would have received through the complete submission of all steadfast goodwill. It is the same with regard to Jesus as with the divine action. If those who have no confidence in him, nor respect for him, do not receive any of the favors he offers to all, they have only their own bad disposition to thank for it. It is true that all cannot aspire to the same sublime state, to the same gift, to the same degree of perfection, 
Yet, if faithful to grace, they correspond to it, and each according to his degree. They would all be satisfied, because they would all attain that degree of grace and perfection, which would fully satisfy their desires. They would be happy according to nature, and according to grace, because nature and grace share equally in the ardent desire for this priceless advantage. Section 8 God reigns in a pure heart. All the treasures of grace are the fruit of purity of heart and perfect abandonment. He therefore, who wishes to enjoy an abundance of all blessings, had but one thing to do, to purify his heart by detaching it from creatures and to abandon himself entirely to God. In this purity and abandonment he will find all that he desires. May others, Lord, ask you for all sorts of gifts. May they multiply their words and prayers. As for me, my God, I only ask one single gift. I have only one prayer to make. Give me a pure heart. O oh, pure heart, how happy you are! For by the liveliness of your faith you see God as he is in himself. You see him in all things and in every moment working within you and around you. In all things you are his subject and his instrument. He rules you and leads you. You have not to think because he thinks for you, whatever happens to you or may happen to you by his will. It is enough for him that you will it also. He understands your readiness. In your solitary blindness you try to discover in yourself this desire, but you cannot see it. Nevertheless, he sees it quite clearly. How foolish you are! A well-disposed heart is a heart in which God dwells. Seeing, therefore, the good inclinations in this heart, God well knows that it will remain always submissive to his will. He knows also that you are ignorant of what would be useful to you, and therefore he makes his, it his business to give you what is necessary. It matters very little to him whether you are thwarted or not. You imagine you are going east. He makes you go west. You are about to strike against a rock. He pushes the tiller and brings you into port. Without either map or compass, wind or tide, the voyage you make are always fortunate. If you encounter pirates, an unexpected puff of wind instantly wafts you beyond their reach. O oh, goodwill, O oh, pure heart, Jesus well knew where to place you when he ranked you among the Beatitudes. What greater happiness can there be than to possess God if he mutually possesses you? It is a state of full of charm and of joy in which the soul possesses peacefully in the bosom of divine providence where it sports innocently with the divine wisdom feeling no anxiety about the journey, which suffers no in interruption, but in spite of rocks and pirates and constant storms, ever continues as happy as possible. O pure heart, O good will, the sole foundation of every spiritual state, to you are granted the gifts of firm faith, holy hope, perfect confidence, and pure love, and by you are they made profitable. On your stem are grafted the fruits of the desert. In other words, from you springs these priceless graces, 
which blossom in souls entirely detached, where God, as in an uninhabited dwelling, takes up his abode to the exclusion of all else. You are the faithful source from whence flow those streams that water the, the flower garden of divine spouse, of his chosen one. Your voice calls all the souls of men, saying to them, Look well at me. It is I who impart fair love, that love which chooses the better part and lays hold of it. It is I who give birth to, the, to that fear, so gentle and efficacious, which produces horror of evil and makes it easy to avoid. I who bring to light those fine perceptions by which are discovered the greatness of God and the value of virtue. In fine, it is from me that those ardent desires take their rise, enkindled by holy hope. It is I who cause virtue to be practiced in expectation of the promised reward, that divine object of our love, the possession of whom will one day from the happiness of faithful souls invite them all to come to you to be enriched with your inexhaustible treasures. All spiritual states and paths lead back to you. It is from you that they derive all that is beautiful, attractive, and charming, for all is drawn from your depths. Those marvelous fruits of grace and of every kind of virtue that helps to nourish the soul and that abounds on every side are produced by you. Milk and honey flow in your land. Your breast distill milk, and on your bosom is the bouquet of myrrh, from which, under the pressure of your fingers, the aromatic liquid flows abundantly. Let us go, then. Let us run and fly to that ocean of love by which we are attracted. What are we waiting for? Let us start at once. Let us lose ourselves in God, even in his heart, to become inebriated with the wine of his charity, we shall find in his heart the key of heavenly treasures. Let us begin at once our journey to heaven. There is no passage that we cannot discover. Nothing is shut against us, neither the garden nor the cellar nor the vineyard. If we desire to breathe the fresh country air, we can go on our own feet and return when we please. With this key of David, we can enter and depart. It is the key of science, and that abyss in which are continued all the hidden treasures of divine wisdom. With this heavenly key, we also open the gates of mystical death with its sacred darkness. By it also, we descend into the deep pools and enter the den of lions. By it, souls are thus are thrust into those obscure prisons from whence they emerge unscathed. By it we are introduced into the joyful place where light and understanding have their dwelling, where the spouse makes midday rest in the open air, and where he reveals the secrets of his love to faithful souls. O divine, incommunicable secrets that no mortal tongue can describe, since every good thing that is it is possible to possess is given to those who love. Let us love, then, in order to be enriched with them, for love produces sanctity with all 
that accompanies it. It flows on every side, on the right hand and on the left, into those hearts open to receive this divine outpouring, O divine, divine harvest for eternity. It is not possible to praise you sufficiently, and why speak so much about you? How much better to possess you in silence than to praise you with mere words. But what am I saying? You must be praised, but only because you take possession of us. For from the moment you enter into possession of a heart, then reading, writing, speaking, or silence are matters of complete indifference. One can take or leave anything, live in solitude, or as an apostle. One is well or ill, dull or eloquent. In fact, anything that you will, that which you detect, your faithful echo, the heart, repeats to all the faculties. In that compound of matter and spirit, the heart which you regard as your kingdom, you reign supreme, and as it has no other instincts than those which you inspire, all the things that you present are equally agreeable. Those things that nature or the devil wish to substitute cause nothing but disgust and horror. If you allow it to be occasionally overcome, it is only to make it wiser or more humble. But from that moment it realizes its mistake. It returns to you, and with renewed love, and clings to you with greater tenacity.